glad if you're visiting with us. You're kind of jumping in with us in the, in the middle of a series. We don't really know how long it's going to be. And want to encourage you, if you're here or listening online, uh, and have questions about sharing your faith or questions just about your faith in general, that you're like, I, I have these questions that nobody seems to know the answer or won't tell me the answer if they do. Uh, we want to try and help you with some of that. And so we've just started a series called Got Questions. Do, do you have questions? And and to take some time to, to uh, actually spend some time thinking about the answers to those questions. We answer questions all day, every day. Uh, but it's the big ones in our life that so often we don't take enough time to, to actually spend some time thinking about. And you may have people ask you other questions, difficult questions. Last week we talked about that question, why does God let bad things happen to good people? That question has a really good answer, and you can, if you weren't here last week, I'm not going to spend time on it today, just go online and take a, take a listen to it, but there's a, there's a, a great answer for that, and it's not, it's not, probably not what you think, uh, and so, you know, the last couple of weeks, been reading Mere Christianity, been listening and watching the Alpha Course, been listening to a series by Andy Stanley, and I'll share a few thoughts from that this morning, and I've been listening to you guys, and some of the questions that you have, and for some of you, you've wrote your questions down, I would encourage you to do that today, you can write them down and put them in in the mailbox at the back. Uh, at the end of the series, whatever we haven't covered, I think we're just going to do like a bullet thing. We'll just say, okay, here's one of the questions and here's some thoughts to get you started. But this series today, uh, in part five, I want to just take a few minutes um, to, to chat about an, uh, just another, uh, one of those other questions. What's God like? What's God like? First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 is why we started this whole series in the, in the beginning. It says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense or a thought-out answer. Be ready to give a thought-out answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that you, that's in you with meekness and fear. And it's this idea of, you know, you get asked questions, and it's like, you know, somebody asks you, hey, why do you go to church? Maybe you're in high school, and your friend's like, you went to church on Sunday? Why do you go there? And you're like, uh, you're like, do you really believe in Jesus? You know, isn't he just like Santa Claus? You know, and you're like, uh, you know, just I'll, I'll call my pastor and I'll answer that next week, right? Uh, he's saying be prepared in advance so that you already have an answer for the questions that come your way. And the idea of answering these questions is not so that you're like, yeah, I answered that question. I'm like, awesome, right? I should be the pastor. Sheesh. You know, it's that, that idea of that by answering their questions may lead to other ones that may lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you can lead people to Jesus. You can lead people to, to a, a, an, a, an eternal destiny that's different simply because of this idea of preparing yourselves. And there's lots of questions that that people ask that don't really matter. There's always going to be those questions that are kind of around the fringe, and they're, 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 they're not really the ones that are life and death questions. It's like when you go and buy a car. You go buy a used car on Kijiji. You know, maybe it's 10 years old. You get there. You're not there asking questions like, you know, does the heated seats work? You know, do, does it have, like, air conditioning still? You don't really care about that. If you're buying, a, like, a 10, 15-year-old car, all you want to know is, does the motor work? And does, like, does it have four wheels? Is the transmission good? That's all I care about, because whatever else, it's just, it's a rust bucket on wheels. That's what really matters. Is it going to get me there? And so people, when they ask you questions about faith stuff, it's like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Who cares? It's not going to, it doesn't get you there. You know, do dinosaurs really exist? It doesn't really matter. There's good answers for that, but it doesn't really matter if they did or if they didn't. You know, if they look through, the, through different um, cryptic uh, things they find in the Old Testament, like, hey, how about this? A lot of those questions don't really matter. And they, it's the idea of taking from, from those questions to the ones that really do matter. And part of the difficulty for people in Canada coming to God is how, the, the, how God has been presented to them in the past. 
Part of their difficulty is how they've heard about God before. You know, it's like the flu shot. Everybody's telling you, know, it's now you find it on, on Facebook and on the news and everything. Get your flu shot. This is what it looks like in case you're scared. It's just a tiny little needle. But, you know, this, this flu shot, what they're doing when they give you the flu shot, they take a flu virus, they kill it, and then they put it in you. And, and your body builds up an immunity to it. And many of you know that. You're like, yeah, okay, that's how, that's how the flu shot works. But in Canada, lots of people in Canada have had a little bit of, a little bit of God, a little bit of religion, a little bit of faith, but it's been dead. It never had any life. They went to grandma's church. They sat in there. It's like, okay, I did church. You know, what was that all about? You know? And they come out and it has no impact on their life at all. Lots of kids went to Sunday school as kids and they learned some stories, but it didn't impact their life at all. And it's this little bit of, of dead part that was way back then that's now inoculating them to the real thing. It's like you begin to talk about Jesus say, oh, no, no, I, I went to church as a kid. Or, you know, no, I'm, I'm Anglican, or I was baptized Presbyterian, or I was baptized Catholic. You know, I'm good. We don't need to talk about it. It's, it's, it's I'm good. And yet, there was no life-changing part there. It's a simple part of something that they, they think they know what it's like. And, you know, we always said, too, when you go overseas and you, you, you talk to people overseas on missions trips, you go overseas and talk to them about Jesus, it's always easier to talk to people about Jesus who've never heard anything about him. It's much more difficult in Canada when you start talking to people about Jesus and like, ah, no, I already know about that. And it's like, I don't think you do because you would be living life differently if you knew how amazing he is. Like, well, amazing. No, no, Jesus is amazing. Those two words don't go together. You know, religion irrelevant. That goes together. But it's, it's this thought of, of sharing with others the truth about who Jesus is and, and, and how amazing he is. They've got this little bit of, of religion in their past that hinders them. And, you know, it's, it's, our, it's our own fault. You know, the church has not really done a very good job in the past of presenting our product. I know we can't say God is a product or salvation is a product, but think about it for, for, for a second with me as, as, if it, as if the church has been like a really bad salesman. You know, you see a bad salesman at a car lot, you recognize him, right? And you're like, oh yeah, that's a creepy salesman, right? But for, 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 uh, for people who've heard about God, it's been like they, they've had a bad salesman. For instance, one who has no idea what they're talking about. And so they, they're like, they, they talk about Jesus, but they have no idea what, um, what he's really all about. They have, no, they, they, they have a Bible, but they don't know what it's actually all talking about. And so they kind of, it's like somebody selling you, it'll be like me selling you a car. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure the halogen fluid in the lights has been topped up. You know, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the flux capacitor is working. And, uh, you know, I'll grab the, the manual out and I'll point to it. And it's like, okay, it's got rod ties and, and tie rods and you should be good to go. He'd be like, this guy knows nothing about what he's talking about. I'm not buying a car from him. And yet, that's how so many um, times in, in, in faith that the people bring out the Bible and slip to a scripture verse and point to it and be like, God smoked Sodom and Gomorrah and he's going to do the same thing to the United States of America because they voted in Trump. Just wait, it's coming. It's like, do you guys know what the Bible is really talking about? God isn't like what you're portraying him. And for, so, for some, that's all that they've heard. And it's like they've drifted away from that. The others, it's the idea that the, the bad salesman, it's kind of like the product isn't what they told you it was like. They explained it in one way, but it's not like that. And if you've ever bought something like a Gigi, you know the feeling. A couple of months ago, a friend of mine needed a trailer, and so we were looking for a trailer online, and we found this ad for this 40-foot trailer, and it was beautiful. It was like, it was pristine looking, and it just said, you know, needs a little TLC. So I borrowed my father-in-law's truck. We drove all the way to London. We got there, and it looked more like this, and all it needed was gasoline and a match, right? It was like, this is not, this does not look like the picture. This does not sound like what you are selling me. 
And a lot of times that's what's happened for people when it comes to, to faith. They were given some simple Sunday school answers as kids. Like, hey, you just got to believe. And, you know, here's, the, here's what faith is all about. And then they grew up. And as they're adults, they're like, well, God's nothing like what I heard. And it reminds me kind of of that story where the teacher in Sunday school asked the kids this question. You know, what's gray and furry, has a bushy tail, lives in a tree and eats nuts? And little Johnny's like, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. Because they think that in, in Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. It doesn't matter what the question is, it's just Jesus. You know, hey, you know, like these difficult things are happening, like just believe. You know, uh, bad things are happening to good people. I don't know. Just, 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 God must have a plan. Don't question. Just believe. But come on, we're adults. And we think and we rationalize and realize that doesn't really add up. And what's happened for so many is that they grew, they grew up with a little bit of church experience somewhere back in their past. And as they grew up, their understanding of God never grew up with them. It's like, you know, I, I was kind of baptized Anglican. That's my, that's my extent of faith. That's my extent of belief. And this idea of, of God, what I learned in Sunday school, that doesn't measure up with real life. And so it's become irrelevant. But the idea behind today is that we need to grow up with, uh, in, our, in our belief, in our thinking of who God is. And for instance, it's not that Sunday school answers are wrong. Don't get me wrong. We're teaching these kids downstairs things. But here's a question. Where do babies come from? Like, what, just got real awkward, right? <laughs> but, but it depends on who's asking, right? If you ask a five-year-old or you exp- a five-year-old asks you, where do babies come from? You're going to explain it in one way, mommy's tummy, right? And then, you know, as a teenager asks you that, you're not going to say mommy's tummy. You know, if a scientist asks you, you have a whole different answer. And as you grow up, it's, in none of those ways did you lie. But in all those ways, you accommodated where those people were at. The problem for so many Christians in North America today is they still have mummy's tummy God. It's like this idea of it never grew up with them. They never grew up to explain that, yes, you know, some of those things, those answers are true, but there's more to it. And so I want to talk about that this morning because as we talk about sharing our faith in Canada, there are so many people who've, who've wandered away, drifted away from faith, because they think they've already experienced all that it is and don't realize that there's so much more. So in the time we have this morning, I, wanna, I just want to challenge you with a few thoughts. That many people have left, not God, they left a version of God that they were taught about as a child. Some, and for, they left for different reasons. You know, for some, they grew up and they're like, you know, my parents were just, and church was all rules, rules, rules. And they grew up and they started realizing that, well, alcohol is really fun. You know, and sex, boy, that's a lot of fun. You know, and so they said, like, we like that. We like it a lot. And they say we can't have, forget that. You know, I, I don't want that. And so they grew up with that. Others, others have left church and left God and faith because they've been burned by the church. They've been burned by some Christians. Uh, and, and it's like, you know, uh, maybe just show of hands. Anybody ever met or know somebody who's with, like, been burned by church and they want nothing to do with it? They had a bad experience. See, we're not, we're not all alone. It happens a lot. Some, some grew up and they believed in God as a child and then they experienced tragedy. And it was like, I can't, I don't know how to, 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 to put these two things together, God and this tragedy I've gone through. And so they wander away from God. Some grew up believing, then they went to university. Then they got all these questions of like, hey, you think, you know, you think God exists? Go ask your pastor this one. And when he's like, uh, you'll know he doesn't exist. And they have all these problematic questions that they can't find answers to. And you know what? For me, it's like this thing of it breaks my heart to think that so many of the young people in our church, teenagers growing up and then drifting away from the Lord. As a youth pastor, I saw it happen over and over and over again. And part of it is this thought that we never grew up and never, never grew up in our understanding of who Jesus is and who God is. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. So who do you think God is like? 
Who do you think God is like? Because who you believe him to be is how you will share him with your world. And so I, want, I borrowed a few of these titles from uh, Andy Stanley's series called Who Needs God? You can go find the rest of the things there. But I want to talk to you about a few of the, the gods that we grew up with that don't really exist. And people have drifted away from gods that don't exist and in the process have put up walls uh, towards the, the real God who does. One of them is this bodyguard God. People growing up with this idea, we talked about him last week, the God who won't let anything bad happen to you. It's this idea of, you know, that, that uh, how, can, how can God allow bad things to happen to good people? They obviously were told by someone that God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And it's, it, you know, Paul, when he was in Athens, uh, Apostle Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He, in Acts chapter 17, it talks about a conversation that he has with these people who are called Epicureans. And Epicureans followed a man named Epicurus who 300 years earlier had, had made this statement. And it's interesting. You talk to atheists today, they're going to tell you this statement as well. It, this statement is this. If, is God willing to prevent evil? Is he willing to prevent evil but not able to? Well, then he's not omnipotent. If he's able to stop evil but not willing, well, then he's malevolent or he's evil himself. Is he both able and willing? Well, then where does evil come from? And if he's neither able nor willing, then why do you call him God? And it's like, you know, I got you on every step of the way of, uh, of the answers um, to, this, to this question where, you know, God doesn't exist. And Paul sat down. That's that. That statement is still resonates in people's hearts today, and, and it comes out in different questions like we talked about last week. Why do bad things happen to good people? The God that I learned about is bodyguard God. He should be stopping those things from happening. And when that God let them down, they stopped believing in God altogether. It's like the people who are like, pray for traveling mercies and a hedge of protection and angels to guard them and then get in a car accident. And they're like, Wait a second, you know, God wasn't supposed to let bad things happen, but who told you that? And who told them that? The people that you're talking about, who told them that? Somebody told them that, and it wasn't, it wasn't Jesus, and it wasn't the early church, because you know what? That idea of bad things happen, are not happening to good people never would have made it through the first century. Because in the first century, horrible things happened to really good people. You look at Jesus horrible things happened to him. So if they went around saying, hey, no, you follow God, nothing bad's going to happen to you, they wouldn't have, that message would never have made it past the apostles because all of them had horrible things happen to them. And so the question is, who told them that God was like that? Who told them that, you know, that, that God's never going to let you down, that God's always going to be there to protect you, that, that nothing's, nothing bad can happen to you because that God doesn't exist? And for them, they've, they've wandered away from that one. And, and because of it, they've wandered away from the real, the real true God. And just because bad things happen to good people doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. We talked more about that last week. You can check that out. The second God is this, on-demand God. On-demand God. The people in our country have grown up with this thought that if you pray and ask God, you should get exactly what you pray for. Because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair and selfless prayer. You know, that I'm praying, and, and I would do this for people, and if I would, then God most definitely should. And we expect that God would do exactly for us as we ask. And for many, that's not been their experience. They've been taught that God is, is the one that if you just pray and, and, you know, believe for a miracle and a sign, it's going to happen. But then mom died after they prayed. You know, or the parents got divorced, and they prayed and prayed that it wouldn't happen. Or their wife left them after they prayed and prayed that that wouldn't happen. And it's this thought that thinking that God's going to answer every prayer with a yes. 
That's been the thought, and so as people have realized, you know, that doesn't really happen. If you've seen Bruce Almighty, it gives a really good, um, it gives, it gives a really good explanation of what would happen if God answered yes. I wanted to show the video, but it was t- would take too long. Bruce Almighty, he's, he gets to play God. He gets to sit in the role of God, and he gets these, all these emails of prayer. All these prayer emails of, God, I want to win the lottery. God, I want to marry this person. God, I want my hockey team to win. And so he starts answering them feverishly. He answers like, you know, a million and then realizes he's got five million more. He's like, this isn't going to work. So he selects them all, types in the answer, yes, to all the prayers. And he's like, done. You know, everybody should be happy. And then they are because everybody won the lottery. But they realize when everyone wins the lottery, it's only $5 per person. You know, and when, when everyone gets to marry their favorite woman, then it's like they're all married to the same girl, right? And they're like, and they're, everybody's hockey team won. So everybody's burning down their cities. And he's like chaos everywhere because he answered yes to every question. And you know, we think about it, that's funny in a movie. But just picture your own life for a minute. Where would you just picture, go back to when you were 15 years old. For some of you, that's like last year. Others, it's a little bit more of a stretch. But, but when you were 15, what if God had answered yes to all the prayers you prayed back then? Who would you be married to? Where would you be? What would, your, my life would be chaos if he had answered all. Uh, I would have different parents, I think, you know? It was like, if God, if God had answered all my prayers with a yes, and for some, they're like, because he didn't answer my prayer, yes, me, he can't exist. But think about this for a second. Picture two people, one young teenage girl Dear God, please let that cute guy at school ask me out. I'm begging. I just want one day in the next room. Mom's praying. Dear God, please don't let that guy ask my daughter out. You know, Father, let him ask her best friend out, who I don't like, because that will kill two birds with one stone. She'll never talk to either one of them again. One of these prayers is going to get answered with a yes. And one of them is going to be like, well, then God doesn't exist. It doesn't make any sense, and yet people have drifted away from God, and maybe you're here this morning, you drifted away from God for that simple thing of he didn't answer prayer, but who told you God was like that? The early church would not have told you that. Just because God didn't answer prayers the way you expect, it doesn't mean that the real God doesn't exist. Bodyguard God, on-demand God, and the third one here, boyfriend God. Boyfriend God or girlfriend God. The God whose presence is always felt. It's like teenagers, you know, when teenagers are dating, they're like stuck to each other. It's kind of gross sometimes. You know, it's like they're like, right, you can't separate them. It's hilarious. Somebody told me this once, you know, they're like, you watch them. Teenagers dating, they're like, they're fearful that if they're apart for a split second, they might lose that other person. So when they're walking in the mall holding hands, if they're a married couple and you try and walk between them, they'll just separate and let go and hold on again at the other side. But a teenage couple that's dating, you walk, they're playing Red Rover with you because they're not going to let go at all. Or they'll like go right beside each other to get around you because you can't let go of him. If I can't feel his presence, maybe he's going to leave. And for some, they've been taught this idea about God that he's like that. There's been those moments in worship, you know, or at youth camp or wherever. It was like they felt the presence of God. It was like, I got goosebumps. God was here. And it's like they get this thought that that's what God is always like, that you're always going to feel him. But then what happens is you grow up and you go to church and then, you know, maybe it's this morning. You're here and you're like, I didn't feel no presence of God. And the person beside me, oh, isn't, isn't the presence of God so amazing? You're like, I'm right beside you. Like, if he got you and didn't get me, like, you must be faking it, right? Because it's not, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. And you begin to wonder if it's even real. I remember growing up in church where prophecy, you know, people would say things that sometimes would use that moment to say what they, they wanted to say, you know. Thus saith the Lord, I am not here. I'm like, well, how did you say that then? You know, you're not here. And it's like they just wanted people to know. Or like you go to a place and like, you know what? Went to that service, went to that church. God's not in that place. I didn't feel nothing. 
you know what? Just because you didn't feel it doesn't mean that God is everywhere is no longer true. Just because you didn't feel it doesn't change the fact that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is always true. I was asking my kids this morning, if you played hide and seek with God, where would you hide? They couldn't think of anything because they're like, he's, he's everywhere. The truth is he's everywhere. That doesn't change whether you feel him or not. But for some, what's happened is they believed in God was like this, this presence they would always feel. And when they didn't feel his presence, they thought that he was no longer present. When they didn't feel his presence, they figured he's no longer present. But it doesn't make any sense. We don't do any other relationships that way. Teenage daters who we look down on do that. But everybody else, every other relationship, my wife's away at a scrapbooking retreat this week. I don't come to church and go, hmm, I can't see or sense or feel my wife's presence in this place. I mustn't, she must not exist. Any takers? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't happen, right? We don't do that with, you know, your dad goes off to work, and you're like, oh, dad left, you know. I can't see or sense his presence. Dad must not exist anymore. Why do we do that with God? People around you do that with God. It's like, well, you know, I should have sensed his presence. He's God. He should have given me a sign. He should have been able to do this, and he didn't, so I don't think he exists. But who told you that God was like that? Here's an interesting thought. We're actually least aware of the things that are most constant. We're least aware of the things that are most constant. Nobody this morning came up to me and said, wow, the temperature in this room is perfect, eh? It's like it's perfect. You never do that. You're just, you're not even aware that the temperature is perfect. The only time you come is when it's too cold or too hot. And for both of you, just uh, whatever. Never mind. (laughs) But she didn't wake up this morning and go, wow, I feel so Canadian today. You, You... It's because you are Canadian all the time. You don't wake up and go, oh. And it's that same idea that God, his presence is all around you all the time. And even though, you know, we're not always sensing or feeling his presence, he is always there. And, and it's this idea just because you don't sense his presence doesn't mean that he isn't present. And so my question, you know, is, uh, is, is it possible that if, as people have sort of drifted away from that version of God, that they've drifted away from the real true version of who God is? Who told them that? Somebody told them that. And it wasn't the Bible, and it wasn't the early, early church. Who told them God was like that? And then this last one, and there's a number of, but just want to, these are the ones that most, uh, most resonated with me. But here's the one we, most people just can't wait to get away from. It's a version of God that they just like, they, they, they have the most trouble with, and it just seems to follow them throughout their whole life. And it's this one, guilt God. It's like the bully, God the bully, who controls you through guilt and shame and fear. You know, the thing is this, if, is, if the question, you know, has anything to do, if it's, if it's enjoyable, God's answer is no. And if it has to do with sex, it's no, no, no. It's like these thoughts, you know, that this God loves you, but he doesn't like you. You know, he had to save you, but you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And if you ever forget that, just come to church and we'll remind you. You're like, oh, I don't want to go to church, you know, I don't want to, I know, you know, I got this, this guilt and shame feeling. I had a man come to um, Kingsway Church, or Sweet Corners Church, a number of years ago. True story, walks up to the door for a baby dedication. He throws his hat into the building to see if it would catch on fire before he dared walk in. No lie, who told him that? Who, he was so scared that God's going to smite him. Somebody told him that God is the bully in the sky, who is, you walk in that door, Nobody told him that God was everywhere. Just in that Sweets Corners building, you walk in there, you're done. 
I remember working as, um, before I used to do wedding photography. I've shared this before, but I sat around at tables, and the wedding photographer always ends up with, like, Crazy Uncle Louie and a few other people from the family that just put them with the photographer. So we'd always sit together at these tables, and, and the conversation would go around. I always ask people, they'd say, hey, what do you do for work? And they'd go around, and they'd tell their stories, and usually there was all kinds of off-color comments, and they'd come around, like, so, you guys, you like photography? I'm like, well, this is my part-time job. I'm actually a pastor. And all of a sudden, you'd see their faces, like, what? Oh! And they're like, think back, what did I say? What did I say? And one person once said, oh, I'm like going to burn in hell for what I just told you. And like, why? You know, like who told you that God is like that? Who told you that God is this bully in the sky? For some, for some, the truth is this, that they know in their hearts that they have, that they love sin more than, more than God. It's not that they're, that they're feeling guilty because it's God's fault. It's this idea of like they're making a choice. They know that they need to turn around and come back to God. They know that he's calling them to leave their sin and come to him, but they're not ready yet. And for them, Paul would say it's like they know the truth, but they suppress it in unrighteousness because they love darkness more than light. There's people like that. And I would say they're the same as somebody who's like a, a thief who just robbed a bank. They're not looking for a policeman. It's the same way with those people. They're not really looking for God because... They really don't want to find the light when they're loving darkness. But for others, it's different. For others, it's actually a hindrance. So they think, you know, my past is so jaded. My past is so dark. Like, I don't think God can forgive me. I can't even forgive me. And they've got this view that someone told them that if they would turn and look towards God, smoke, or whatever word you want to use. But who told them God's like that? Who told them that God was like that? Because the Bible doesn't tell them that God's like that. The Bible's telling them that his goodness is drawing them to repentance. Is it possible that the versions of God that they've heard are actually hindering them, inoculating them from the true version of who Jesus really is? Is it possible? Maybe you're here this morning, it's you. You're like, yeah, that's kind of the God I believed in who didn't come through for me. You know, my, we could talk about a list of different ones. But the best way to recognize a counterfeit is, become, is by becoming an expert with a genuine. The best way to recognize a counterfeit is to become an expert with a genuine. And this is my hope for our church, is that you would become experts in a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. That wherever you find people saying, hey, God's like this, you're like, no, actually, he's not. Church is boring. Well, actually, it's not. You know, church is like, they're mean, angry, grumpy people who are like judgmental and hypocritical. Well, not really. You know, they, they let Daryl in. You know, it's like, it's, uh, <laughs> it's. It's this, it's, it's different where you're like, hey, you know what, there's something, there's something different. Becoming, becoming an expert on the genuine. When you work with money, they teach you that. They, they keep you around the bills as much as possible. I remember, you know, here's, a, here's some of, even our $100 Canadian bills have been counterfeited. They figured out how to do it. Uh, and it's, it's that idea, they said, now spend lots of time with the real one so that you know what it, what it feels like, where the raised portions are, what it looks like. And we'll come back to this in a second, but I remember when I worked for uh, the cafeteria at our church years ago, I was 16, super shy. I was there, and there was a conference, and all these guest speakers, and people come through, and they're all in their suits, and I'm there, like, punching the till, and these guys walk up to me, and their, their order was $4. They hand me a loony and a $3 bill, and I'm like, I put it in. I'm like, okay, thank you. And the guy, he walks through, and he, he comes back. He's like, can you just double check, you know, the, the money that I gave you? And I was like... Yep, three and one, that's $4. And he's like, do we have a $3 bill in Canada? I'm like, 
oh, it looks so real. And I, like, he was just hoping that I, it would be a funny joke when he hands it to me. Like, yeah, right, hand it back. And, and it's like, it actually was kind of funny. And then, you know, the, this week, I'm like, I can't be too at fault. This week I went to the bank and they gave me a whole bunch of loonies. And one of them was a two pence. And they actually handed it to me, which is the two pence from, from Britain or whatever is worth like nothing. And uh, they didn't even catch that mistake. But $3, $1, not a big deal. The $100 bill, kind of a big deal when it's dealing with big things. But even more so when it comes to talking about God, the value is just is completely off the charts. But here, if you just notice the top one, no flagpole on the building. The bottom one, flagpole. That's the easiest way. There's a couple other things, but if you've got $100 bills, look for the flagpole. You know, and so lots of people have told us lots of things about God, but there's one person who's an expert. There's one person who's an expert on God and who God really is, and he's told us things as well, and that's Jesus. You know, the place for everyone to start is Jesus. The problem is a lot of the questions come from all over the place. It's like they go into the Old Testament and they're like, hey, well, you know, this, this happened in the Old Testament. And it's, it, they don't realize that the, the context of the whole book is that the whole Old Testament is just pointing people to Jesus. Recognize Jesus when he comes. The whole New Testament points back to this man named Jesus. He's the one. And it's the place. He's the person. You know, the man who died and rose from the dead and predicted that was going to happen. You know, you can believe and trust what he says. And this is what Jesus said about God in, in our last couple minutes here. There's a couple conversations that Jesus had with people that he explained to them who God was. And if we could just forget everything that we've ever learned about God from other people and just took a listen to what Jesus said about God, that, the, that, that would be the truth that we would share with others. Here's, here's a couple things. John, John, who was an eyewitness of Jesus, he was an ear witness of Jesus. He was right there with them, heard and saw the things. He wrote these things down. And he wrote about a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at a well. The Samaritans, they were, they were um, uh, foreigners who were moved into the land during, a, during exile. They were not, the, not the, the people that everybody looked at as being, you know, you know classy. And they, they had this idea of they believed in God, um, all the gods, and they just added the Israelite God as well. And so it's for that reason that the, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And so Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, and they start talking about all kinds of things, her past, and, and they start talking about religion, and, and she says, you know what, you Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, and we feel like we're supposed to worship on this mount called Gerizim, which is the right one. And Jesus says to her, you know what, he says in verse 24 of John chapter 4, he says, God is spirit. He reveals something about God to her. He says, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's the kind of worshipers God's looking for. And then the woman replies with, nah, that's just a Jewish answer. I'm going to wait for somebody else who's got, a, uh, who's got a better answer. She says, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain it all to us. And, and then Jesus says to her, well, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. That's the first person that Jesus ever told that he was the Messiah. And he also revealed to her something big about God, that God is spirit, that he's not something created, and he's not like every other idol out there that requires a building for you to connect with him. He's the one who is before everything and created everything. He's not limited to buildings, times, and spaces. He's everywhere. So no matter where you are, God is there. He, the Bible says it's in him that we live and breathe and have our being. You can't go anywhere where he's not. You might feel in the deepest, darkest pit of your life, he's there. You know, there, there's nowhere where you have to go to have someone talk to God for you. He's everywhere and he's looking for genuine worshipers. This idea of, of connection with people. You know, when Jesus came, he didn't come to start another religion. He didn't come and say, all right, everybody, Sabbath, that's old news. We're doing Sundays now. 
No more Saturdays. And you know what? Church with steeples, that's the new temple. That's where we're meeting. Everybody's like, woohoo, let's do it. He never said that. But how come that's what it's turned into for so many places in North America? We'll meet Sunday morning in a church with a steeple. That's my faith. That's the, the element of it. He's like, he's everywhere. Don't you realize that God is everywhere and seeking genuine worship uh, from, from genuine followers? He had another conversation with his 12 disciples. They're like, you know, Jesus, we don't pray good, but we listen to you, and you pray gooder than us, so would you teach us how to pray? And he's like, okay, let's start at the beginning. And he says this in Luke 11. He says, so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Because for people, spirit everywhere is like, ooh, spirit. Like, how do, how do I connect with that? He's like, you know what? The, the best way that I can explain it to humans, I'm trying to explain God, who's not human. He's not like any of, uh, of you here in that same sense. He's not limited by time. He's not limited by space. He's everywhere. But you can call him Father. Picture him as Father. Not your Father. Because maybe you had a terrible father. He's not saying, hey, picture God as a reflection of your father. He's like, think about what a perfect father looks like and realize that, you're, that, that God is, you, is a perfect father. And when you talk to him, you can start with father. And Philip later is talking with the guys and he says to him, Lord, show us the father. You seem to have a really good connection with him. Show us the father. You know, just ask him to like, Reveal himself just for a minute so we can see him, so we would know, and then it'll be good. We'll be satisfied. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak, they're not my own, but my Father who lives in me, he does his work through me. Or he's speaking through me. And he says, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the works you have seen me do. He's saying, if you want to know what God is like, watch me. Listen to me. Jesus is saying to them, this is what God is like. I'm him. I'm God on the planet. You want to know how God deals with Samaritans? This is how he deals with Samaritans. How does God deal with people? How does, you know what? We can learn so much from watching and learning about the life of Jesus it's like that idea of what can I learn about the Father just from watching the Son? You know, when you think about that, it's, it's incredible. Do you realize that if you watch Jesus, he never made anyone sick? There was no one that he's like, I got to teach you something. You can have leprosy. You watch Jesus. It's amazing because it's like he revealed what the kingdom of God is like. He showed us glimpses of what heaven's going to be like. You know, there's no, there's no poverty there. You know, when there was, when the, he showed, you know, that there's no hunger there. He just feed 5,000 people. He showed exactly what the kingdom is like, but he showed what God is like. And it was, he said this thing, he says, when you connect with God, and he said it to his followers, then and now, when you connect with God, call him Father. Father. I want to challenge you with something. Give you some homework. Like, oh, great. Pick a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Pick your favorite. I picked Mark. It was good. You know, but pick Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just read through and ask yourself this question. By reading about Jesus, what do I learn about God? If this is God on the planet, this is who God is. What can I learn about him? That's Because that, 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 that's what's true. Whatever else was out there, it isn't. And the last conversation was this. He had a conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus, a guy who thought he knew all about God. He, and Nicodemus is like, comes to Jesus one night. He's like, okay, Jesus, I got to be honest with you. 
We are like teaching about God all the time, and so are you. But you do signs, and you do wonders and miracles, and we don't have that. So we know God is with you. We don't like it, but we know he is. What's the deal? What do you know that I don't know? And, then, and, and don't tell any of my friends because they don't know I'm here, but I just, I just got to know. And so Nicodemus has his conversation with Jesus, and Jesus is like, you know what? God's spirit, and you got to be born of the spirit to connect with him. you got to be born again. The inside of you has got to become awake to God. And he's like, wow, I don't get this. He's like, how are you teaching anybody when you don't know? How are you telling people this is what God is like if you don't know? All of Scripture pointed to me. And then he says the most famous verse in the Bible. You might not have known it was in this conversation. But John chapter 3, verse 16, you could probably quote it. It says, for God so loved the world. He lets Nicodemus in on something about God that Nicodemus didn't know. God so loved the world. Not God so loved the Jews. Not God so loved the religious people. God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's not, Jesus didn't come to say, you're all dirty and rotten sinners. He said, come to me, I can give you life. And John, John the guy who writes this, it's got to be just like, just treacherous for his mind. He grew up as a Jewish boy, reading the Old Testament his whole life. And he's like, okay, God is like X, Y, Z. He he loves the Jewish people. He tolerates everybody else. He hasn't smote them all to death yet, but he doesn't love them. We're his people. God loves us. We're the chosen ones, and everybody else is whatever. And then God says, you know, Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, God, for God so loves the world. The Gentiles? Yeah. He loves the Gentiles. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And they had such trouble with it. Peter, you know, God told Peter, go preach to the Gentiles. He's like, no, you said I'm not supposed to do that. And God has to show him a vision saying, here, this is, I'm telling you, go. And he's like, God, I have your permission. You don't have my permission. You have my command. Go, go and preach to the Gentiles for God so loves the world. And so John, as he writes to them, he's writing to them about God. He's like, he's father. He's everywhere. And ultimately, he's love. If you want to know who God is, he's love. And later on, years later, John's the only one who lived to be old. He writes um, in 1 John chapter 4, he writes a letter to these Gentiles and these new followers of Christ years later. And he writes this, 1 John 4 verse 7 and 8, he says, Dear friends, let us, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God, for God is love. John had to have his whole belief system about God taken down and rebuilt in another way by Jesus. No one ever said that God was love before these moments. Jesus taught him that, that God is love. And then he called to his followers and saying, the distinguishing mark of my followers is love. If they don't love one another, God's love's not in them. They don't know him. He's saying, that's what it is. Well, I thought I was like, I got to show up at church on Sunday. Nope. I thought I was, I got to read the Bible. Nope. I thought I was, I got to pray and do good things. Nope. He's saying it's, it's believing in Jesus Christ, turning from sin, and then living out this life of love. Why? Because it reflects, it reflects the character of our Father. And so this morning, this morning I want to challenge you. These are just starts. These are just the first few steps. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want to challenge every follower of Jesus with in this place. Is that you would take some time to get to know who he really is. Because what you believe about him is what you will share with the world. And too many people have just told them things. 
They've told them things about God that just, he's not really, that God doesn't really exist. But there's a real God who does, who loves them genuinely. And he's spirit. He's everywhere. So when you're at work, he's right there with you. And when you're talking to your friend, he's in that conversation. And when you're wondering, you know, where are they at? He already knows. He's father. He's not far away. That tonight, maybe as you're laying in bed before you go to sleep, you're looking up like, oh, man, I've never prayed like that before. It's been like, oh, dear, merciful, heavenly God, a million miles away. If you can hear me, here's my. It's like this idea of saying, Father. Entering into that relationship that he's called you into. And maybe it's like weird for you, like, uh, Father. Okay, I said it. That's it for tonight. I'll try it again tomorrow, you know, like. Starting that realization of the relationship that he wants from you. And the last thing is this. He's love. No matter what you've experienced. No matter what you've gone through. No matter what you think you've known. He is love. He is love. It's not that he just has love. He is love. He can't do anything but love. So what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what others have told you about God? Or are you going to believe what Jesus tells you? Are you going to believe you know, the things that, that others said and kind of drift away because that God doesn't exist, or you can embrace who he really is. And why do we need to share it? Why do we need to share it? Like, okay, that's cool, but I'll let somebody else share it. Why do I need to do the homework? I'll just let someone else share it. Here's the thought. Not that they would just have a chance to know the, the truth, but that they would experience him, that they would experience the saving, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Paul, we started with Acts 17, with those conversations with the Epicureans, and he said to them at the end, Paul said to this, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things. About what? About who they thought God was. He says, God overlooked all that before in earlier times, but now. Now means from that point till now and on till, till Jesus comes. Now he's commanding everyone. You know, he overlooked all that before, but now he's commanding everyone everywhere to repent of sin, to turn away from sin, and to turn to him because he's real. And he says, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who that man is by raising him from the dead. He says, there's a day of judgment coming. Now's that moment. Now's the time where you can, as you share with people the truth, that they can turn from a life of sin and turn to life with God and with Christ. Well, how? John wrote it this way. At the end of his book, at the end of his letter, he wrote this, he wrote these words, and he wrote, this is why I wrote all this stuff. John chapter 20, verse 30, last verse. I know there's been a bunch. Jot it down, remember this. It says the disciples, he says, they saw Jesus do many other miracles and signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written. All of the stuff in John was written for this reason, so that you, so that I, may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that we would believe based on, on those things it says, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. It's incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful that our lives can be changed by continuing to believe the message of truth, the good news of Jesus Christ. Our world needs to hear it. And we started this whole series to equip and to teach and to train you so that you can go out and share that good news with people. Some of you have friends who don't know the Lord. The honest reality is that they will spend eternity without the Lord if someone doesn't share the truth with them. And it's, it's probably you. And so I would encourage you to take that moment to learn truth, dig in deeper, take a, take a gospel, take one of those books and just say, okay, God, what can I learn about you? And Lord, help me to share that with others. Help me to share the truth. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know God. You don't know that, you don't know that, you don't have a relationship with God. You've kind of believed that God was like some of the things we talked about. But you can know him this morning. He's reaching out to you this morning. You know in your heart he, he loves you. 
He's already forgiven everything. He's just calling to you to come follow him. Find out what life's really supposed to be about. It's not religion. It's not rules. It's something genuine, something alive on the inside. It's freedom. If you want that this morning, I would just challenge you to just tell him, God, whatever he said, that's what I want. He'll fill in the blanks. Then find a place, a good church, where you can grow and learn, be around others to keep walking out that journey. But don't wait. Don't wait. That, our amazing God, following him is the, is the best thing you can do in your life. And the chance to do that starts today. Can I pray for you? Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that even though they're written 2,000 years ago, they're just alive and they grab us in our heart. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, thank you that you do what I can't do. That you can make these words alive and call out in people's uh, hearts and lives today. That you can put deep inside of them exactly the, the one thought, the one word that, that you desired for them to hear today. And Lord, as we go from this place, we know that we're with you always. Help us, Lord, to be aware of that, to spend our lives in relationship with you and reaching out to others. I know it's difficult sometimes, but I thank you for giving us the courage needed, and we ask you for that, that our world might be saved, that our world might know you, that they might find you in time. Lord, I thank you for that. Pray your blessing over this amazing Kingsway family. May they be just an amazing light that shines wherever they go this week. In your name, and may they bring you glory, we pray. Amen.